0: Our chapter for today is Revelation chapter 17. And with this chapter, we come to another section within Revelation that runs from this chapter, chapter 17, which I hope you've already read, through chapter 19. This is the the penultimate section of the book, the next to last section of the book with the final section, section, which will run from chapters 20 to 22. Again, um, since chapter 12, these sections have been revealing the heavenly and spiritual struggle that lies behind and beneath the earthly and physical struggle that that entangles the church in the present world in which we now live and as with each section we've studied up to this point in revelation this section likewise means to describe the entire church age beginning with the first coming of christ until his second coming which we'll read about in chapter 19. the images described here in chapter 17 refer to things that affect every generation until the Lord returns. So let's take a look at uh, some things we find here. Um, The chapter begins with a description of another vision being given to John. We'll describe some of the details of the vision later on, but at the outset I want to take particular particular notice of two uh, noteworthy items. It will be clear that the vision as a whole describes Satan's full-on attack of the church and the means he uses to do that. And indeed, as John gives the is given the vision, uh, he, he says in verse 4 that he was carried away in the Spirit into a wilderness. That's perhaps an allusion to the vision given back in chapter 12. Remember when the woman, that is the church, fled into the wilderness, Revelation 12, 6, where she is persecuted. John himself is in that sort of figurative wilderness as he himself is part of that church and is Constantly persecuted by the world around him. So are we. That, that, that's the appearance of the, of the church here. It's a persecuted church. But don't judge by appearances. Don't overlook the fact that this vision is given, John, by, verse 1 tells us, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls. Recall that the bowls represented the wrath of God and the judgment of God that was to be outpoured on all ungodliness and rebellion against him at the end. While the church may appear and in fact be persecuted at the present time, make no mistake that its persecutors are being judged by the Lord and will be openly and unmistakably and unavoidably judged by him at the return of Christ. While these ungodly forces continually uh, make war on the Lamb, According to verse 14, they will not succeed but in the end, but the Lamb will conquer them. Verse 14, for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. Those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Well, secondly, let's think about the beast and the prostitute. We were introduced to two beasts back in chapter 13. The first of those beasts, we were told in Revelation 13, one came out of the sea. Remember that? And, and and we said then it represented that beast coming out of the sea represented all those nations and governments in the world that oppress the church and stand against Christ and the Christian faith. Uh, it, it, it's more important here to notice that uh, in verse 1 that the enemy in this vision is seated on many waters as well. So the enemy of Christ and his church uh, to be described in this chapter and in the following chapters are connected, I think, to that beast that we, we read about in chapter 13 that came out of the sea that represents the oppressive regime regimes of the world. The particular enemy of Christ and his church that is described in, in this chapter is referred to in verse 1 as the great prostitute. The prostitute, this prostitute re- represents everything within nations and cultures that attempts to... Uh, seduce believers away from the Lord. So many these governments and these regimes of the world are often uh, oppressive to Christians, but, the, but that's not the only way they operate. There are off, often things within these, these regimes and these cultures that aren't merely oppressive, but that seduce believers away from the Lord. Uh, this prostitute is, is described as being finely arrayed, in every good the world has to offer, verse 4. Um, we'll see that again in, in chapter 18. And, uh, and in verse 4, she holds in her hand a golden cup that she entices people to drink what she has to offer. William Hendrickson says, and I'm quoting from his, his great um, commentary on Revelation More Than Conquerors, he says, whatever of this, whatever is used by the world in order to turn believers away from their God is in this cup, End quote. So interestingly, we're told that this prostitute, according to verse 5, has a name. Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. Uh, Babylon was once a, a great power of the earth that exalted only itself. And proudly opposed the one true and living God as well as his people. You see that, the, the history of that in the book of Daniel. A few verses later here uh, in verse 9, the vision describes the prostitute in the imagery of seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Uh, this is widely acknowledged as a reference to Rome in John's day, which, which sat majestically upon seven hills. These references help us to conclude that this prostitute is present in every culture and every powerful nation and government that sets itself up against the Lord and and against his people and all they stand for. And and make no mistake, that's virtually every government, every culture on planet Earth. Every culture and every nation holds out worldly pleasures that, that work constantly to entice people away from the Lord. We, we are told um, in verse 8 that those whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, that is, unbelievers, will marvel at the pleasures and treasures of the world and will spend their lives to acquire and consume what the world has to offer. We should not naively, though, assume that all those who are in the church are safe from these temptations. That is dangerously naive, and it's certainly true that there are many who are in the church, but, but who are not actually in Christ. Scripture tells us that over and over again. Second Corinthians thirteen five. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Second Timothy four ten. Demas left Paul, but why? Because he fell in love with his present world. First John two nineteen says there were some who were among us, but they, they went out from us that, that it, because they were not truly of us. Over and over again, there are people that are in the church, but who are not actually in Christ. And the allurements of the world are strong and unrelenting. And if we are to fight successfully against them, we must just as strongly and unrelentingly fight to love Christ with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. That's the mark of one whose name is written in the book of life. Now let's just let's make one other observation from this chapter and that sin that is sin always disappoints in the end the chapter ends in both a surprising and a sobering way in verse 16 we read that uh, eventually the beast will hate the prostitute wow the beast will hate the prostitute that's surprising but it goes to show that eventually the pleasures of the world will be known for what they are empty promises the pleasures of the world and uh, of sin always disappoint in the end but the end is also sobering because when that time comes and the pleasures of sin are shown to be for the empty promises that they are for many that time will be too late to repent notice when the beast begins to hate the prostitute they do not come in repentance to God. It says in verse 17, for, for because God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose of, uh, by being of one mind in their hardness of heart. God is absolutely sovereign over human hearts. We see that in Isaiah 45, 1 through 7, Proverbs 21, 1, Ezra 1, 1, Exodus three twenty-one and 22, over and over again. God is absolutely sovereign over human hearts. And when people persist stubbornly in their ungodly loves and ungodly ways, God's judgment often comes in hardening them further in those ways so that they bring on themselves the painful fruit of their own decisions. Let me close this point with another helpful summary uh, uh, of these final verses from William Hendrickson. He says, and I quote, Revelation 17, 16 and 17 is a lesson for every day. It reveals the course of worldly individuals. First, they become infatuated with the pleasures and treasures of the world and harden themselves against God. Then they are hardened. Finally, when it is too late, they experience a revulsion of feeling. They are punished by the results of their own foolishness. And he adds in a footnote there that hence, in a sense, the world, in the end, destroys itself. And those are just a few thoughts from Revelation chapter 17.